In this episode of Info Product Mastery, we'll chat with Tim Stoddard, entrepreneur, content authoring expert, and partner at Copyblogger. This is Info Product Mastery, episode eight. Welcome to Info Product Mastery, the podcast that helps developers, educators, and entrepreneurs launch and grow their online education businesses, whether you're just looking for a passive income stream or creating a full-time living. I'm your host, Adrian Rosebrock. And today, we've got a very special guest on the show, Tim Stoddard. Tim is an entrepreneur, partner at Copyblogger, owner of Sober Nation, and CEO of marketing agency, Stodsey Incorporated. How are you doing today, Tim? Great, man. That's a of an intro. You know that thing. <laughs> One take. <laughs> I've had a little bit of practice. There's been like takes where I've literally screwed up like three or four times with like the other person yeah, on, sure. the sh- on the show. And I'm just like embarrassed. Sure. Like, oh, man, this looks so bad. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you and I meeting is just like this great example of why I love the internet. Like I, I first came across your content like three to four years ago, back when I was in the thicket of running PyMage Search. And you know, once I launched this podcast, I asked a mutual connection of ours, Jason Resnick, who, by the way, is an amazing copywriter, marketer, and podcaster. And I was like, man, I want to I wanna talk to Tim. Can you in, give me an intro to him? I, I don't know him personally. And Jason did. And I just remember being blown away by all the things we have in common. Like We're both entrepreneurs. We have love for content businesses. We're just super fitness fanatics and geeks about that. And I think we both agree that Halt and Catch Fire is probably one of the greatest TV shows of all time. Yeah, definitely. What a <laughs> yeah, one of, one of the reasons or one of the first posts I came by you, and I don't even know how I came on it, but was like, it was this post about Joe McMillan and like the similarities of people in real life to Joe and like being able to just fight for what you want and not being able to back down from it and just keep going and handle the embarrassment, handle the failure. I was like, Man, this guy, this guy gets it. I want to, I want to be like this guy. I want to get the note down. That's so cool. I, I specifically remember exactly where I was when I was writing that post. I think I, I think I took it off my blog, my Tim Stodd's blog, at least just because I've tried my best to make it like just much more business oriented and, and professionalized, sort of speak. But I, when I do that, I usually copy and paste. I have like a, a little hidden blog that nobody knows about that I just kind of write creatively. And so I think I copied and pasted over there because yeah, Joe McMillan is one of my favorite characters like ever and Halt and Catch Fire is such a good show. I wish more people knew about it. But then also like, I'm kind of glad that they don't because it's like this little gem. That yeah, it's like a little, little indie street credit you could drop every now and for then. Sure. And you know, yeah. whoever did that soundtrack for that show is just a genius. Like how they started with like the, the punk hardcore and the, like the like the early 80s and started to move into like the, the techno and the late 80s. And I was like, man, they, they, did, mm-hmm. they did such a great job with that. And did you know they have Spotify playlist for each character on that show? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like you go look at Cameron House and it's just like straight punk in the beginning. And then like it starts to get a like totally. towards the end. Like it's, it's legit. I've written like blog posts and like articles with that just playing in my headphones before. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> that's so cool, man. Yeah. I'm really glad you like so, it. So, you know, continuing the similarities, I mean, we, we both have lived in Philly. You were born, born and raised here. And then we have this other huge commonality, and that's we both struggled with substance abuse in, in the past, and we both learned from it, used those experiences to make, make our current selves better. And I think that's, that's incredible. And I think it's a topic that I, I hope more entrepreneurs will get comfortable. Well, I mean, I hope people in general are more comfortable talking about it, but especially entrepreneurs, people who are a little more 
public facing, having a reputation. And I think that's something you've just like done a kick-ass job at with, with Sober Nation when you started that and continued on. So I'm just kind of curious, like you've ran multiple content businesses and how has learning to do this content creation, how has it changed your, changed your life and allowed you to grow these companies? Well, first off, thank you very much for all the kind words. I really appreciate it. It's always humbling because sometimes you forget that there's like people at the other end of these keys that I'm just trying to hit in the right order. And so it's it's always like humbling and refreshing to know that the stuff that you put out there matters. So so I appreciate that. Content in general has been a really important part of not just like my business and my life, but like my philosophy on life. It's really helped me come to grips with a lot of the imbalances, let's call it, in what it is to be like a person in this modern age. You know, this is a really Seth Godin-esque type lesson that I learned years and years ago by reading Lynchpin. And it's just totally, totally stuck with me because once I saw it, it's kind of like, I don't know, it's like taking acid or something. Like you can't undo it. Like I, I was never able to unsee it. And it's just, I don't mean to jump this conversation off getting like too deep or whatever, but there's so many examples where the age that we live in isn't programmed with the way that our brains are designed. Because the way that our brains are designed is very much like fit in with the pack and be part of the tribe and like never be isolated and never be vulnerable and like never offend the chief. And if you're like hunter gatherer, that makes a whole lot of sense because you don't want to be kicked out of the cave fending on your own in like the the heat, right? But in, in 2022, it's exactly the opposite. Like if you want to get somewhere in life, you have to make yourself vulnerable and like you have to put your thoughts out there and your ideas out there and you have to be willing to offend the chief. And so writing and just continuously publishing has been like my exercise of like pushing that little boundary every single day. It doesn't necessarily mean that I need to, you know, like jump off the cliff. It's just like a constant battle against myself where the the side of me that like wants to hide and wants to stay in with like the zebras in my camouflage, you know, like doesn't want to be sought after is battling against the other side of me that knows like if I want to get to these places in my life, like I have to I have to go out there and, and fend for myself a little bit. So when you asked that question, that's the first thing that came to mind because my writing and just my hit and publish has has been the catalyst that has allowed me to be the person I want to be really and like live the life that I want to live. I, I could really count a, a large majority of like the good things that have happened to me in my life have come from just continuously like putting my writing out there, both like creatively and, and technically from like marketing. So there's nothing bad can happen from it. And I hope everybody, I hope everybody does it. That's a, that's a really interesting point you make because I think a lot of people, one of the reasons a lot of people are unhappy in this world is because their balance is incorrect. So I think yeah. there's this, this like triangle balance that you have going on here. And like one of the edges of the triangle, like that's your, that's your consumption. That's the time you spend reading, watching TV, like scrolling through Instagram or Facebook, and then you have your, your like creative edge. And, I, and I'm using creation here in a very vague term, very generous term. So that could be writing, it could be sure. recording video, it could be like planting a garden. Those are all forms of creation. And it's all about finding that one that really resonates with you. 
And I think the, the final edge of the triangle, like that's more along the lines of like your your physical, like your physicality in the world, occupying space in the world. So that's working out, you know, doing physical things, getting your hands dirty with something. And I think so much of of this current world that we live in in 2022, like everyone is so unbalanced towards the consumption because it's so easy. Like you can doom scroll through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. Like you can watch binge watch TV shows on Netflix, and Hulu and, and everything else. And I think as, as humans, we're, we're not supposed to be this heavy into, into consumption. We're supposed to be creating as well. We're supposed to be moving our bodies in this physical world that, that surrounds us. And I, I think people always say, oh, I don't have enough energy to create. Or I don't know. I don't know what to do to create. It's like, man, no, just go, go create something like get that, start to get that balance back in order. And I just think you're going to be so much happier. And I just wish people would just try and do that. I mean, have, have you seen that, you know, in your work, in your life? Sure. Yeah. I like to exchange the word creating with contributing because that's, that's really what it is. I, I the whole thing about like being a creator and like the creator economy, that really confuses me because I just, I don't know what anybody's talking about because you can't separate life from creating. And so it, it was like, it's making a thing. It's just like a marketing gimmick to like commoditize being a human. Basically, it's like, we're all already doing this thing. We're just coming up with some commoditization so that it can be like chopped down and made divisible and like productized. But like being a creator is is just being a person. Everybody contributes in their own way. You know, like you said, are you a gardener? Some people like lift weights and do bodybuilding. You know, some people write, some people make candles, some people do stand-up poetry. You know, it doesn't even necessarily have to be artistic, right? Some people, some people listen, right? Like some people are really good at, at managing relationships. I, I don't know. Like Everybody's got their thing. It's just a matter of contributing what it is that you have to share. But I think what is beneficial for everybody is if you can find a way to make your contribution profitable, basically, because then it's a win-win on all sides. Speaking for me, like I get to do what I love. I get to serve other people in hopes that they can take my work, my service, my ideas, my labor and help in their life, right? So like, why wouldn't I want to be involved in a thing where, where everybody wins? Like all sides of the equations is mutually beneficial for everybody. So that's why I like to intentionally create a relationship between like creating and business because creating for the sake of creating is great. And like, I'm all for that. And, and that's what hobbies are for, right? And you should have a hobby. Like I do Muay Thai and I'm never going to try to monetize my martial arts. It's just, I can't, like it'll consume my mind. Like I need a thing and everybody's got to have that thing. But I do think it's important for people to see this like mutually beneficial zero sum game or excuse me, whatever the opposite of it is. Like it's, <laughs> it's, it's a game one that you just keep playing without an end. Yeah, totally. Where everybody wins. So there's no, like, my creation doesn't take away from somebody else. Like, it's, it only compounds on top of, like, bringing prosperity and abundance into the world. So, yeah, that, that's, that's my mindset on it, kind of tagging along where you were leading me with it. But I, I, I do think it's important, at least for me, 
to realize the difference between like my hobbies and like the things that I'm trying to do for business. Because when you, when you add business to it, it does, it, it does add like accountability to it. And, and I think that's really important. Yeah, it is super important. I'd like that you mentioned this balance between like contribution and, and profitability. So if you're just, if you're yeah. just starting out and like you're creating your first blog or writing your first ebook or creating your first online course, you know, how do you go about making it profitable? I mean, there's tons of different ways to do it. I'm just kind of curious for what's your perspective is if someone is just just new to the info product, new to the contribution, new to the online education space, like what do they do? How do they create a profitable business through their contributions? That's where the rubber meets the road, right? Unfortunately, it takes practice. <laughs> and like, it's important to understand that because there is like a technical skill behind doing it. And that's why I'm so into copywriting. And that's why I like long form content where search engine optimization has always been very helpful for me. I'm I'm getting more and more into social media and like it's it's fun and it's I'm starting to see some really cool results with it. But I actually have a bit of a method here because I think that I think that people in the last like 5 or 10 years especially and I blame Naval for this with his Twitter thread about leverage, you know, and like productizing yourself. I think what people do is they make mistake of instantly going towards like building an audience. And look, I, I own Copyblogger. Like I am all for building an audience. That's like rule number one, like get attention, get people to pay attention to you. However, the disconnect becomes when people think like, if I just build an audience, then I'll start making money. And they're, they're skipping the first part where it's like, have something to contribute in the first place. You know, so like get good at something. You were a computer scientist. I was reading your blog. Like, that's super valuable. Like, get good at something. Be a good photographer. Be a good landscaper. You know, so you have to, if you're going to sell info products, really what you're doing is you're taking your knowledge and you're packaging it in a way that makes it easily digestible for other people. But in order to do that, you have to have something worth, you have to know something worth selling in the first place. You know, so like the first step. And this is always like people roll their eyes at this because they go, oh, that's not what I wanted to hear. You know, like build your blog, build your email list, post on Twitter, do this kind of stuff. But like, don't think that that is going to be the catalyst for your success. Like you have to have something, you have to know something worth selling in the first place. So the, the first step really is to get good at something. And then the rest can kind of happen from there. I, I totally agree with that. I think in some cases, people they almost discount themselves and they yeah. and they don't think they're an expert in anything. And rarely do I find that's true. Normally, it's just some sort of self-esteem that's blocking blocking them from actually sure. doing it. And I think you know, computer science is a great topic because anyone who has had more than three to five years experience in the field working, working a real job, they probably know something that other people would pay to learn, that other programmers would pay to mm -hmm. learn. And that is true across so many niches outside of outside of programming. And I really do believe that part of that is is a self-esteem issue. I mean, when you started blogging, did you did you have that self-esteem issue? Did you have some sort of imposter syndrome going on in your head? What was that like? Yeah, I still have it. Of course. It, writing is just the worst thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> like it's terrible because it's so freaking hard and the difference between writing and anything else is like, there's no room for mistakes in writing. I don't know why. It's just, I think it's because we expect writing to be so clearly 
connected to like good thinking, right? And so if you're not writing well, it means you're not thinking mm-hmm. well. And that's very hard to get good at. But but yeah, look, I, I've told this story on so many different podcasts. And so if people are hearing this for the second or third time, forgive me, but it's, it's worth repeating. The only reason why I started a blog is because there was this Seth Godin interview 12 years ago when I was getting sober. And I had no skills. I had no education. I mean, I was a carpenter. Like I knew I could build houses for the rest of my life. But my dad was very blue collar. and My mom was very blue collar. And they both got spine injuries. And I was like, man, like, I, I love building houses, but I don't want to break my back, right? In one of this interview that I, I heard, uh, you know, at the end of like all those, it was on a CD, by the way, which is hysterical because it was 12 years ago. But on the end of the interview, he said, the person interviewing him said, what's like the one piece of advice that you would give, right? Like the typical end of the interview question. And he says, start a blog and don't tell anybody about it and write in it every day. And so that's what I did. And that's what I still do. I, I still start most of my mornings with, with writing on this blog that I, I have, which, you know, like I said, it's just for me. It doesn't matter if people read it or not. It's just, it's keeping my, my blade sharp. And you would think that it gets easier to not feel so imposter syndrome. But that's impossible because if you're going up a staircase of skills, let's call it, like the most you can ever see is the one that's right in front of you and the one that's right behind you. You know, so like you can never, it's not that you you can't, it takes a a lot of, of zooming out to see the big picture, but it's so hard to see like how far you've come along the way. Because if I read my stuff from 12 years ago, I'm like, oh my God, this is terrible. Like, I'm so much better. But I'm sure it's going to be 10 years from now where I read this stuff from today. I'd be like, man, I'm so much better than I was then. So like the imposter syndrome is just, it's just like the fee. It's like the price to pay for playing the game. And, you know, luckily, I think I'm just more and more comfortable with that feeling now. But it, it doesn't mean by any means that it just goes away. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, I, I am so familiar with the the imposter syndrome and luckily like it wasn't crippling for me it never prevented me from you know launching new projects or doing anything but you know i have i have a phd in computer science but i knew like two years into my phd program that i wasn't going to stay in academia that i belonged in an industry that i belonged in you know the, the business side of things creating products so i started the pi mm-hmm. search blog and like just like you just created tons of content you know, wrote every single week published a new blog post every week and you know, years later, I could go back, I could look at the look at the old stuff. And be like, my God, this is shit. I can't believe people actually actually read this and found value out of it. But what I found like internally with the imposter syndrome was I didn't belong in the academic camp because I left that and I knew I wasn't I wasn't going back. But people on the business side didn't necessarily accept me either because I wasn't building like a true software product and shipping. I was building an education product, an info product, and there's. There's like that old saying that, you know, if people, you know, if you can't do, then you teach sort of thing. So I kind of got pushed out of the, the business world, too, because I wasn't building a quote unquote true product, you know, whatever that means. But I, it's, it's real. And I'll say, like, no matter how successful you get or how far down the line you get, you're still going to have a little bit of imposter syndrome. I just think over the years, you just get better at tuning it out and just be like, who cares? I enjoy what I do. People are finding value in what I do. What else matters, you know? Yes. I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan. I've, I've always loved his comics and his books. And I was just, oh shit, where was I reading? I can't remember. It was like two or three days ago. There was this parable from Neil Gaiman 
where he was telling a story. So I'm, I'm going to butcher it, forgive me, but it's worth repeating. It's first person in, in Neil Gaiman's voice. So Neil Gaiman was telling a story about a moment in his life. And he said he was at this party. He was having a chat with like a really nice older gentleman. And they were joking about that they shared the same first name. And the guy said to him, like, I don't, I still don't understand what I'm doing here. Like, I, th- this is all, there was a line he said that was so beautiful. It was like, makers and artists and, and builders of great things. I can't remember exactly what the line was. He said, I don't know what I'm doing here. Like, I don't build anything great. And so the person he was talking to said to, to Neil Gaiman, he was like, do you feel like you belong here? Like, you've created amazing books and like, you've contributed to the world. I was like, no, I don't understand this at all. Like, I, I, don't, I don't even necessarily know what my writing is or where it comes from. I just do it. And then Neil Gaiman said back to the guys, like, but what are you talking about? You're the first man to ever go on the moon. And he was talking to Neil Armstrong. And even Neil Armstrong, of all people, the first person to ever step on the moon, is sitting at a party full of like engineers and artists and builders of great things, thinking like his reply was, all I did was show up and take the, the step. That's all I did. Paul McCartney is another example. Like there's interviews of, of Paul McCartney saying that he always felt like an imposter in the Beatles because he was the only one that couldn't read sheet music. And so all of the things that he came up with were basically derivative some like bass lines just because he understood scales on bass lines and so even all of his melodies and his guitar riffs were in his mind he was kind of cheating because he just had this little hack that he would take bass lines and so like i think it's important to remember that it's it's not special to you you know like neil game is one of the best writers in the history of the world right neil armstrong is the first person on the moon like paul mccartney is probably the most famous musician ever and so i mean maybe michael jackson right and so like those three people who are like icons in their own field still find ways to feel like they're not good enough. So once you just sort of accept it, as just like a fee. It's just like the price you pay. It's like the cost of admission to get into the game. Then it, I, I don't think it's as crippling as it's supposed to feel. There's this phrase that I got from Rob Walling from the startups, the rest of his podcast, and he calls it relentless execution. And, you know, when I when I elaborate on that, I mean, you show up every day and you put in the work just to move move the chains or move the needle just a little bit farther. And then you have the discipline at the end of the day to give yourself the rest so that you can recover and do it again the next day. I think, you know, a lot of people talk about the hustle culture and how it's toxic. And like, you know, you work, you know, 18 hours a day, seven days a week. And like, listen, there are times in your life where you can and should do that. But it's certainly not sustainable by by any means. But when you talk about what Neil Armstrong did, what Paul McCartney did, is that they showed up every day and they put in the work and they did that relentlessly. And I believe when you find people like that, it's just a matter of time until they become successful. Like true, true people like that who put in the work, all you have to do is keep zooming out and look at their life and look at their timeline. And there will eventually be a point where they are just tremendously successful. I mean, people like that on any large enough time scale, you will see them be successful. And I, I think other people who want to start their info product businesses start ebooks and online courses, YouTube channels, you know, if you show up every single day, put in the work, you know, you write, you create, and you do these, these video tutorials, and you do it intelligently, you pay attention to your audience, you know, you listen to the feedback to what they want to hear. I think eventually you will be successful, provided that you're humble enough to listen to feedback, and to you just get after it every single day. And I think that that dovetails perfectly to what to what you were talking about. I think so too. Uh, it always, anytime this conversation comes up, I always think of Stephen Pressfield, The War of Art, 
did you win the war of art for the day? And if you did, then like there's nothing else you have to think about. For me, fitness is always a part of that too, because it's, you know, I, I've been thinking about this a lot and I don't mean to necessarily disagree with you at all. It's just a new perspective that I've had on it where even the word discipline, I'm thinking to myself like, no, that's, that's not quite it because discipline is kind of like forcing yourself to do something. People ask like, how do you work out every day and how do you manage all these companies? And, and I think it's not necessarily discipline. It's just the thing that I do. And I don't necessarily even know how to put this into words yet, but the best way I can think to describe it is everybody does things every day that they just mm -hmm. do. And they don't like, you don't need discipline to brush your teeth. You know, you don't need discipline to like get dressed every day. Like I don't need discipline to just show up at the gym or to write my blog post for the day. It's, it's, it's past that, you know, it's just like a, a thing that I do for no other reason than just do it. Like, why does anybody do the things that they do every day? You know, why does anybody eat breakfast every day? And so I, I think on a long enough timeline, you're absolutely right. Where success to me at this point is, it isn't even necessarily a thing where it's like, I hope I'm going to be successful. It's, it's just like probability. Mm -hmm. No, I just know it, right? Like if I just do this shit every day and I follow this process in a particular way to serve as many people, maybe like the, the outcome isn't even necessarily up to me anymore. You know, maybe it'll be a, a giant gazillion dollar company. Maybe it won't. But either way, like I'll get to the spot that I'm going and I know it's going to be a good spot because that process, it, it can only lead to one direction. You mentioned Naval Ravikant earlier in the, in the episode. And I think Naval is the one who said, like, what feels like work to others, it feels yeah. like play to you. And I think that's exactly right. Like for you, fitness that's play. That's not work. When you're writing content, like that's, that's play. Like you're able to show up and contribute and create. I think the the discipline aspect sometimes is more like if, if someone is out of shape and starts working out for the first time, it's going to take them discipline to get into the gym, you know, for three months, yeah, I totally agree. for three months. But once that, that muscle is built into their brain, they're like, Oh, like I feel great when I work out and I'm going to go to this gym and I'm going to crush it, you know, sort of thing. And then once they get to that point, I think that's when when it switches over to play. And then they're just able to like mm -hmm. just cruise on that. I agree. That's well said because I, I don't want to pretend like there isn't some sort of threshold. It's, it's a law of physics that it takes more force to get something moving than it does to keep it moving. The questions that people ask me seem to be very much like, where, where did this come from? You know, like, how do you do this type deal? And I, I never really know what to say to that because it's like, this is the thing that I do, <laughs> you know, it's not even necessary. Like, oh, I'm, I'm out to achieve this, this really special milestone. There was a point where it was like that for me. And like, of course, I want to have success. And like, I have my goals and I know what I'm going after. Right. But the process to get there doesn't feel like this kind of thing where I'm like, oh, I got to do it. It's just, it's just a thing that I do. I wouldn't even know what to, what to do otherwise. So yeah, I, th I think we all got to get to that point where we find something that feels like play. Totally. So that other topic I want to discuss, and this is something that I'm just starting to, to open up about. Hopefully, I'll do some more episodes on this and start to cover more, more details. But each of us have struggled in the past with substance abuse and, and addictions. And you know, this is really the first time I've publicly admitted that on a, on a podcast. A lot of, you know, I had a pretty traumatic childhood. And I don't really talk about what happened between the ages of 19 and 27, where I just completely, completely like checked out and had had a ton of problems. But I know you've had your own set of set of issues. Like, do you want to talk about that and how it's 
you know, helped you be a better person now in, in your journey? Sure. I'm always happy to talk about it. And I commend you for, for going through your own journey. Here's what I found about this topic. It's really not as surprising as anybody thinks, because everybody knows someone that's struggled with something. And over the years, I've started to replace the idea of addiction more so with the idea of obsession, because that's, that's really all it is. It's just something that takes precedence over everything else in your life. And so for some people, like for me, that was dope, basically. For other people, it can be food. You know, for some people, it can be fitness. Uh, I know plenty of people who have an unhealthy relationship with fitness and with their bodies. For some people, it can be, I, I mean, geez, I don't know. There's, there's, there's people that struggle with like chewing on their hair. You know, there's, there's all types of really strange ways that our brains cope with this angst that our modern living forces us to feel. And, you know, I don't think too much about what it is anymore. It's not that I can. It's just that I think I've come to grips with like, I don't know what it is. And I'm sure there's going to be studies for the next hundred years as to why people have like obsessive thoughts and obsessive tendencies and like self-destructive behavior. I think a hundred years from now, we'll be just as confused as we are because like people are really weird and like complex, right? Here's what I, I always hope to translate to people that maybe listen to some of this and think like, yeah, I've, I've felt that way too. In my recovery and in some of the terrible dark places I've been, like it's truly turned out to be the best thing in my entire life. I don't know. I don't even know who I would be if I didn't go through all of those experiences. And so I always like to share a message of hope, right? Like if you're hooked on drugs or like you're doing too much Coke or like you can't stop drinking, if I can do it, you can do it. It's important for everybody to know because like, believe me, I was, it was not good. But also I'm always like a little reluctant here because this is something that's very easy to say when you're like 12 years in recovery, like I am. And like for somebody that's like really still in it, it, it might seem so far away. Right. But from what one of the lessons that I've learned over these years is it truly, truly has turned into this like really amazing lens to view the world through where nothing seems as big as it really is. Nothing seems as amazing as it really is. And it's not to say that like I miss the highs and lows because I, I still feel joy and like I feel still feel like ecstatic about exciting things in my life. I'm not, I'm not saying that life is dull. I'm saying that that terrible, awful experience has really given me a beautiful perspective on what is serious in life and what is things that like, we just feel upset about. And so if you're going through it and if maybe you're like a year into your own recovery and you're like, oh my God, I still feel so sad. I feel so bored, right? Like just stick with it because I, I promise it'll get to a point where everything else makes a lot more sense because of this awful experience that you had. There's a girl I got sober with a while ago and I still talk to her on Instagram. She lives in Florida now. She's super cool. And she always used to say, dare to suffer that like really, really sticks with me where if I'm through something in life, I'm like really suffering. It's like, just, it's okay. We're all like trying to live in padded rooms these days, right? And like life is painful and like you're gonna suffer. And so my addictions and my recovery has really helped me just like embrace suffering a little bit and not necessarily see it as like this awful, terrible thing that I need to run from and I need to hide from, but rather just like 
dare to be willing to do as like a strange juxtaposition against that. It's actually turned into the thing that has allowed me to live in such peace. <laughs> That's how I feel about it, man. I think about it a lot. Obviously, it's like a deep subject and I could kind of ramble on and probably write a book about it one day. But uh, I, I, I hope that when people listen to my message, they can see their pain as not necessarily a good thing, but as something that shouldn't be like shied away from. You shouldn't run from it. Like it's actually easier if you just allow yourself to feel it. That's that's beautiful. There's there's this phrase that I love in and through the body. It's with with my addictions, it was more about escaping the past and just numbing it. Like I just I didn't have the emotional capacity to process what had happened in my past. So like I I would use like alcohol and like benzodiazepines to help control those like feelings that were trying to surface that I was trying to process, but I was just mentally and cognitively incapable of processing them at the time. And I work with a lot of, you know, high performing, like super intelligent programmers, developers, entrepreneurs, everyone is susceptible to addiction. Like, I don't care like what you say. It's like, someone will say, well, I don't like alcohol. Or, I don't like weed. It's like, well, that's fine. You just haven't found the drug that like you're actually gonna become obsessed with. And that's, that's fun. And I hope like you never, I hope people never have to go through with that. My point is that I found that these super intelligent people, they get themselves in these states of limbo, where they can exist between normal and addiction for just decades at a time without fully crossing over into being, you know, full on addicted, but also not being full on present and, and sober either. They just know where that line is, and they can exist there. And that's, that's where I existed for a long time as well. And it was until I eventually went all the way over. But it's really challenging because you want to be able to help people in those situations, but you don't, they're not ready for it yet. And it, it's so painful to, to watch them. So if you, do you have any advice to people who are, you know, kind of in that stage where they might be in that limbo, they're starting to get that voice in the back of their head being like, hey, you might, you might have a problem, but then also their intelligence kicks in and they're able to back off the edge. Like, have you encountered that? Do you have any advice for people in those situations? Of course, I've encountered that. You know, I don't know if I have so much advice for the people that are in those situations because it's it's like a really cruel joke that the universe plays on all of us where for whatever reason, it takes what it takes for people to learn the lessons themselves. <laughs> it's just so strange. Like I think about my dad a lot, right? My parents had me when they were really young and... I had such a loving family. Like I, I feel out of all the things in my life that I used to be really resentful for, like I always knew that my family was just close, right? Like we're just really, really tight. And now that I have a son, I think of all the shit that my dad tried to tell me that I wouldn't listen to. And he says, one day you'll understand, right? And now I look at my son and I imagine the time when he's like 15 or 16 and he's about to do something that is like such a dumb idea and in my mind, I can already see like you just, you're too stupid because you're just like a 15 year old that isn't capable of learning these lessons. And, and sometimes those lessons like come with real consequences, you know, and like those consequences come and like it still doesn't click and it still doesn't click and people are trying to help you. And then for whatever reason, who knows why or who knows when and who knows what it was about this particular thing that just made it click when all of a sudden you're like, oh, I get it now. Right. And so it's just such a stupid, cruel little joke that we all have to kind of go through in life where who knows why it, it just clicks for some people and who knows why some people who should 
who have had like harder consequences than I did just never had that, right? And so I think it's really difficult to give advice for those kind of people. And so that's why I don't give advice. I only give my experiences. Like I can only say what happened to me because there's no like arguing that, right? Like I don't, the last thing I want to do is get into some kind of philosophical debate about life with like an over-intelligent drug addict slash computer programmer. <laughs> like that's not going anywhere, <laughs> right? Like that's a terrible idea. And so I, I really, really stick to my own experiences in that. However, if I could touch on that for just a second, I, I think the majority of the suffering in those situations actually comes from what you said is control. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's a really liberating thing to realize that like you don't actually have any control over anything. And the only thing you can ever control is like what you do. And that's it. And it sucks because like we have people that we love and like we have things that we want. And sometimes we do all of the work to get what we want to do. And then there's something completely out of our control. It's just like, nah, sorry, that's not going to happen. And so like, what do we do? We, we grab on tighter. You know, it's like, oh, I can work harder. Like I can make this happen. And so I, I think this is all sort of connected in this like strange philosophy that I've, I've just started living in over the past like five years or so where all I can do is what I can do. And it's not to say that I can't do it as well as I possibly can. I can't work as hard as I possibly can, or I can't do something with like as much intent as I possibly can. But after I do the thing that I can do, you just let go. Because like you, you literally have no control. And that's scary for people to hear. But as an entrepreneur, because I, I know this like is an entrepreneurial show, I've been rambling a little bit about like philosophies and stuff like that. But it's, it's really, really connected to that because the results only come from doing the things that you can do. And then sort of letting go because the longer you try to force a result the less time you're actually spending doing more of like the things that you can mm -hmm. do <laughs> right and so like as a business owner and as a person and as like a, a dad and a husband now right I, I really really keep that little philosophy close to my heart because it's about control because we want to control things because like we're uncomfortable being out of control but the reality is is that you're spinning on like a rock in like some random void in space and like none of us have any idea what's going on. So just just do the shit you can do and let go. Oh, that is, that is such a good message. I love that. That needs to be printed on a printed on a shirt. Like do the shit you need to do and let go. I love I love that. And let go for real. <laughs> what a what a great way to to end it. Tim, if if someone wants to get in contact with you or follow you, what's the best place to reach you at? Yeah, timstods.com. I'm really focused on doing my own writing now for the first time ever. And I'm really loving it, man. So like I have a Twitter, everything is at Tim Stodds, T-I-M-S-T-O-D-Z. If you want to get my best stuff, I send a weekly newsletter out every Friday. And like, it's really awesome. It's an awesome newsletter. I'm working really hard on it. And I know that people will, will enjoy it. So, uh, so check me out. I, I would enjoy it. And Reach out to me personally if you want. And I can, I can vouch for that. Your newsletter is fantastic. And don't you, on your Twitter, you post like, you. like summary tweet threads of it as well, right? For sure. Yeah. I do my blog article and my newsletter and then I write a thread of like my article and then I, I try to write a thread of like the 10 things of my newsletter as well. But sometimes I forget about that because it's Friday. And I'm just like, I'm sick of the computer, you know, <laughs> but it's there. You'll find it. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show, Tim. Yeah, you're welcome, man. Thank you for having me. See you me. later. 
If you have any questions about this episode or suggestions for future episodes, send me an email at questions at infoproductmastery.com. And if you enjoyed this episode, please leave a five-star rating in whatever podcatcher you use, whether it's iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. Not only do these reviews help motivate me to create new episodes, but they also help other developers, educators, and entrepreneurs find the show. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time.